Professor Stefan Scholtes, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. You've done a report on clinical efficiency in the National Health Service. What did it show? Well, it's not directly a report on clinical efficiency itself. It's a, it's a piece of research that I've done with a colleague in, in Germany on potential effects of increased clinical leadership. Uh, clinical leadership is, of course, a, a, a term that's now very much on vogue after the DASI next stage review of the NHS. And we would hope that it would lead to more efficiency, I might we, argue. We would hope that it leads to more uh, quality and to more efficiency at the same time. And I'm, I'm all for that. I think there's a, there's a lot in it. Uh, what, we, what we liked to do with uh, this particular piece of research is to look at what is the evidence? Is there any evidence that we can bring to bear to make a point in terms of efficiency. In particular, we haven't looked at quality as such, more more financial viability. And um, the argument or the the, the backdrop of this is that increasing clinical leadership is all very good, but the question would be, haven't we been there before? Isn't that what happened in the first first uh, 50 years of the last century that all the hospitals, all the health organizations were led by clinicians. And at some point, we brought management in for some good reasons, because the clinicians weren't really able to manage the finances of their organizations very well. They, and that wasn't their job. They were focused on their patients. So for those who don't know, what would a medical director do? Would they be an administrator? Might they be a clinician? You know, what is the role of medical directors and what difference can they make in the efficiency of a hospital? Well, first and foremost, a medical director is, of course, a representative of the profession at, at the board, in the board. And uh, and they are, in terms of their involvement, they can be full-time um, medical directors. In our sample of about 2,000 hospitals in Germany, we had about 10% full-time medical directors. In most uh, hospitals, you have a part-time medical director, someone who fulfills that role, some anywhere between 15% and, and, and maybe 50 or 60% of their time, but has also a clinical appointment and, and sees patients on a regular basis. So it's a represent, the representation of the profession when board decisions are being made. And clinicians, um, are, are they in a way good advocates of sound management practice? Well, what we what we found is is quite interesting. So we looked at first of all we we, we looked at the distribution of the part time involvement of the medical directors in the top management teams in the German hospitals. And we wanted to understand whether that has an effect on the viability, on the financial viability of the hospital. We looked in particular at cost per patient, uh, suitably risk-adjusted so that you can take care of different patient portfolios. Um, and we controlled for a number of things that might, might influence, that might con- con- confluence the, these, uh, these variables. Um, and what we found is that there isn't really much of a statistically significant impact of increased clinical leadership on the top management team on the financial performance. So that, to some extent, is good news. But then we drilled a little bit deeper by looking at, by taking the cost per patient apart and look at doctors per patient times cost per doctor. The doctors cancel out and you have cost per patients left. So we basically decompose it into two 
variables, the number of doctors per patient, and how much resource, how much money every doctor has. And what we found is there was a significant effect of increased representation of the medical director on the board on the number of doctors per patient. So the bottom line is clinicians hire clinicians. Are we surprised by that? Maybe we're not. I'm not terribly surprised by that. What is interesting is that they save on the non-clinician side to make ends meet. So nurses, therapeutic personnel, technology, whatever it might be that, 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 that you need to run a hospital other than doctors, will shrink. In that case, does it really matter as long as you're getting good patient care from one perspective or ethos or another? How does the patient know, well, I'll go to this hospital or I'll go to that one, I'll go to that country because we now have a choice of that, or this country because they have a certain management practice? Surely what the patient needs to do is look at the outcomes and, in a way, forget the role of management. Yeah, uh, very good point. Does it, I mean, the, re- the question is, does that actually, does that actually matter? And, uh, and here we have to become a bit more speculative and, and, and less... I don't have evidence on this. I don't have, for example, clear evidence that uh, those hospitals with increased numbers of doctors would have a better clinical output. We didn't have the German data. The data here in the UK would be better on that, but in Germany it isn't. Uh, but I'm, I would say that if we look at the other part in the Darcy report, the other factor that has been flagged up in the report that will be very important in the future is innovation. Innovation in the service to help us in particular nowadays with the reduced NHS budgets that we're looking, that, that, that will come in over the next years. We have to innovate to deliver the same sort of service at less cost than we had before. Now doctors are a very expensive resource. If you hire more doctors, they will be with you. And they are very expensive. And when, when there are ways of moving, for example, consultant-led services in sexual health or dermatology or, or somewhere else into more nurse-led, cheaper nurse-led services that maybe with some technology deliver the same sort of quality, then if you are caught as a hospital in a situation where you have hired a lot of consultants, you might not be able to adopt that technology because the consultants are powerful. They want to hold on to whatever they have been doing. And they are heavily specialized as well these days. Consultants are more and more, doctors are increasingly specialized. So you somehow lock yourself in. That's my, that's, I think it's, this is speculative. But I think there's a danger that this might happen. And, and I'm not saying, that this is not saying that clinical leadership isn't a good thing. I'm just saying we need to be aware of what the natural tendencies might be and we, meet, we, we have to counterbalance those a little. Do we find anything different in terms of costs? Is one form of management structure more costly than another? We might say the clinicians one must be the biggest cost of all. Or would that be a wrong assumption to make? No, in terms of costs, as I said in, uh, before, there isn't much of a difference. I mean, the, the, the ones that have more clinical involvement, co- controlling for a lot of other factors, do not show any significantly higher or lower costs uh, per patient than, than the ones that have less clinical, clinical involvement in, in management decision-making. So in, in the end, one might ask, uh, what purpose or what outcome does management perform? Because we can't really say a best or better 
a cheaper or more expensive option. There is just difference in a way. That's right, but management, of course, has a balancing has a balancing uh, task in, in in this sense. I mean, a doctor typically is focused on patient care. That's what they should be. They they look at their individual patient and they try to heal that particular patient. They are not so concerned, and they can't be, with a a, a sensible and economically sensible distribution of resources. They just spend the resource on a particular patient. Management, on the other hand, has to be involved with making sure that there is a fair and sensible distribution of resources across all doctors in that sense. The best of all worlds, I would argue, is a manager who is a doctor, is someone who has been a doctor, who knows how the doctors tick, who knows what, what makes them work, but who then moves into management, but in a real way, not just because not just being pushed in it, not just because we need more clinical yeah. leaders in management positions, let's give them management positions, but really make the conscious decision to manage, but from a very deep root as a, as a clinician. That's the perfect situation. And one could imagine that was true because you can relate it to your own lives and your own professionals, that you have somebody who's dedicated, and then through that dedication and using that experience, they use it for the, the benefit of the organisation as a whole. Does it mean, because you know, we now have, as I say, studies, you, you now have, can have that goal as an end uh, purpose, that we're going to see more cost savings, more efficiencies in the NHS because the management is getting, and the leadership in particular, is getting better? Well, I'm, I hope it will, it will get better. I think in the NHS, it is amazing that the, the, there aren't all that many chief executives of hospitals who have serious medical training. And that's, I think that is something we need to really work on very hard, to bring those people into management positions and into positions where they feel they are managers, not clinicians, who actually have that background as clinicians and therefore understand the complications of the system much better than people who are parachuted in from other industries, who do, some of them do a marvellous job. I'm just speaking about you know, the, the average here in that sense. Understanding of how the system works is crucial to future good management in the NHS. And, and, and once you, you have a deep-seated involvement coming from a professional perspective, a sort of emotional perspective, and then an organisational perspective, you can move that organisation on to be better for the clinicians and better for the patients. Yes, absolutely. We need to become very serious about training, about motivating clinicians to become managers and then training them up appropriately. And that's, that's one of the things that I think we need to really think very hard about. How do we, in the, in the best possible way, motivate clinicians and say, this is, you know, this is the next step up to lead your pack in that sense, and, and also then give them that management think that allows them to take the overarching view and say, well, I'll look at the system, not just as the, at the individual patient, as important as the latter is. And to be a devil's advocate just once more and finally, because you raised this question at the beginning of the interview, but can't we say 
Professor Schultes, we've been here before. We've reorganised and we've reorganised. How come? Ah, we've just discovered the wheel again. Yes, that's, that's a very good question. That's what I'm saying. Well, we've got to be careful that we don't, re- don't get into that mode of rediscovering the wheel in that sense. We have to do something different. Clinical leadership is very important. Michael Porter, a very prominent Harvard professor, is, 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 is you know, drumming for increased clinical leadership as well as Lord Darcy and, and other people as well. But it, it just doesn't, it is not automatic in the sense, just put a, clinicians in, a clinician into a management position and things will happen. I don't think that's the case. But we are moving forward and it's optimistic that now we've studied it to this extent, both here and, as you say, your survey was in Germany and, and elsewhere in Europe, that, that we do know the recipe for good management in the NHS. I don't think we know the recipe. I don't think there is a recipe to management. But I, I'm, I am optimistic. I think you know, we have some very, very good, very, very clever people. And the, the, the greatest thing about clinicians is they are very clever. They are very clever people. So getting them motivated and to take that leadership role is, is a great thing if we can make that happen. So that's the first step. And the second step is then we have to equip them with the right way of thinking. They have to they have to become MBA types with the deep roots of a of a of a clinician. They have to understand, you know, what happened to the airline industry when deregulation struck them and EasyJet and and, and Ryanair took over half of their business. They have to un- take these parallels when you know when the private sector enters enters the uh, enters the uh, the health world in in England now and in the in the NHS, they've got to understand what that means, and and that doesn't come naturally to someone who's been trained to look after patients, but someone who only knows that EasyJet Ryanair stuff and 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 how Shell and BP survive, parachuting them into a health organisation. I think we've tried that, and that doesn't work all that well either. I think we have to really now work very hard on combining those two models. Professor Stefan Scholtes, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. Um, we look forward to the future in the NHS. Thank you, Melanie.